Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show... Adam Spinella is here. This is the first part of a two-part episode with Spins and I this week. So the reason we're doing this is because I am absolutely starting to get sick, as you can tell. And I have a feeling that I'm probably going to go a bit downhill over the next 24 hours. So Adam and I are recording a couple of podcasts Sunday evening. The first one will go up, you know, in hour after we're done recording second one will go up uh as the tuesday podcast or the thursday podcast we're doing kind of an evergreen episode uh that will work regardless uh but yeah i'm I'm excited spins what's going on buddy hey sam i want to send you my deepest apologies for sending you my (laughs) illness over the last several weeks across the pacific ocean and all the way there to you in australia but uh all is good on my end. One more week until the basketball season starts. So I am uh, I'm thrilled to be, you know, knowing college basketball and my season are kind of concurrently beginning coming up soon. But uh, looking forward to a couple episodes here today. The the trans Pacific uh, illness is, has caught us all. The yeah. the uh, the Mike Fluenza uh, has has hit us here. Yeah, like there that. we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's that's what it's all about. Okay. So the NBA kind of sucks right now. Let's just be real about that. <laughs> so we're, we're going to talk about a few things today that are not particularly enjoyable to talk about. Um, the NBA, like the basketball on court, I don't know if there's ever been a more fun start to a season, but it, it's hard to be excited about basketball uh, with some of the things that have occurred over the last 96 hours, I guess, you know, maybe, maybe the last four to five days. Uh so let's start with something positive quickly, though. Boyan Bogdanovich has signed a two-year, $39 million extension with the Detroit Pistons. This is a deal that just, you know, once they acquired him from the Utah Jazz, it makes a lot of sense, I think, uh, to get him for Kelly Olynyk and Saban Lee, who the Jazz have cut. Kelly Olynyk, by the way, looks great for the Utah Jazz uh, already this season. The pairing with Lowry Markinen has been very, very effective. But I-, I think the Pistons are ecstatic with what they've gotten from Boyan thus far. He's averaging 23 points on 51-51-92 in six games. Uh, he's been Same. absolutely lights out for them as a uh, veteran that can shoot 
that can just consistently make the right play. Um, you know, defensively, there are still concerns here and he's 33. So this deal is going to take him through his 35 year old season, but you know what? He's bigger. He continues to be playing at an exceptionally high level. I think this is a fine deal. It's not overly long either. So it's just not really going to hurt you that much. Uh, yeah, I, I think that for where this team is, given the fact that, look, both you and I really enjoy watching the Pistons, Yeah, but they're one in five right now. They're not playing phenomenally well. Uh, Cade Cunningham over the last few games has looked absolutely great. Yeah. Uh, Boyan has looked very good. I've really enjoyed the Jaden Ivy experience thus far, but you know, this is going to be a work in progress defensively for them. They're just very young, right? And their vets are not necessarily super, super high-level defenders. So it's going to take a bit of time, I think, for them to figure it out. I don't think that this is really going to hinder them in terms of like them reaching the play-in game at this point, it would seem, unless the defense takes an enormous leap. And... You know, you now have a vet that's locked in for the next couple of years. And I would imagine that Detroit is trying to win uh, starting in 2023-24. And Boyan, with his floor spacing, with his ability to take advantage of, you know, mismatches in the mid post, his ability to just move the ball and create efficient shots for the offense. Yeah, I, I think this is a really, really sharp move. Yeah, and, you know, we talked about it when the Pistons acquired Bogdanovich a month or so ago. There are not enough rebuilding teams to go out there and just get veterans and particularly veteran floor spacers to really help the offense run. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's where, you know, I think Bogdanovich has his most value. We've seen already the flashes of what Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey can do with the ball in their hands and the way that they work off of each other. But you need floor spacers who know what they're doing and particularly ones that can give them some positional flexibility, guard more than one type of spot. I think as Bogdanovich ages, he's probably not going to be a very versatile defender. I don't think he's a very above average defender right now, but he's at least able to guard either kind of forward or wing spot. But having the ability to shoot allows him to age gracefully and still have an impact on the offensive end of the floor. So I don't worry about age in the back end of the contract. It's a really good offensive piece next to these two guys in Detroit that are already proving they deserve a ton of reps with the ball in their hands. But you're right. The, this year for the Pistons, like it's, it's just not going to happen. We've seen them completely collapse when Kate and Ivy are off the floor. They just don't have enough yeah. on the offensive end and their defensive structure isn't in place already to survive in those moments anyway. So good long-term move locking him up, but uh, Detroit more fun than they are good right now. Yeah, I mean, look, the first half against the Hawks uh, over the weekend was awesome from Cade, right? Like sliced up the Hawks was absolutely terrific. And then they fell apart in the second half, right? Like I feel like it's going to be a flashes season for Detroit, right? We're going to see some really, really high level moments. We're going to see Cade go off for, you know, 27 points or whatever he did in the first half of that game. Uh, And then we're going to see, you know, teams adjust and, you know, Maybe them not continuing to have an exceptionally high level because they're young. They're still figuring things out. It's fine. I'm not yeah. worried about them at all long term. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, and the other thing with this Boyan deal is this is going to be a movable deal in the yeah. last year. If it's thirty-five million, or if it's uh nineteen million, I'm sorry, when he's thirty-five years old, uh, in what would that be? 2024 25 the cap's going to move up enough it won't be in the new tv deal i don't think quite yet or at the very least won't be like the highest reaches of the new tv deal but i do believe that the cap will move up enough to where that's a very easily movable contract if they have to move it uh, as an expiring contract so yeah all across the board i think this one makes sense uh let's move to josh primo now So Josh Primo was waived by the San Antonio Spurs abruptly on Friday. And when these things happen, it's always worth waiting to see what the other shoe to drop is going to be. Josh Primo is a guy that was taken 13th overall, 12th or 13th overall in the 2021 NBA draft. The Spurs had begun like doing a marketing push behind him like this summer, even and even into the fall. I believe they picked up his third year option on October 10th on his rookie scale deal and then proceeded to have him as a full level part of their rotation on a team that had been pretty competent to this point and still looks pretty competent to this point as we talked about um, on the last podcast last week, actually you don't just randomly cut a guy 18 days after you pick up his third year option and you play him 20 to 25 minutes a night. And the level is good for a teenager fine for an NBA player coming off the bench to an extent. So there was always another shoe to drop. The shoe dropped the next day that according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, Josh Primo um, has been accused of multiple instances of uh, it seems like showing his genitals to women uh, it, period. It seems like, and then Sham Sharania reported that uh, a, a former staffer, uh, was one of those people. Uh, a former staffer of the San Antonio Spurs was one of those people. So with that happening, it, it's hard to keep someone around when they're doing that. Um, teams have done it, uh, but I, I think the Spurs obviously made the right move here, releasing Josh Primo. Uh, Josh Primo released a statement on Friday night, I guess that was before the report came out uh, regarding why they released him saying that uh, there was, uh, he's taking this time to work on some personal trauma, I believe is the way that he put it. And and I don't want to downplay that necessarily, you know, I'm sure that there could be something there. Um, But obviously it's not a good look in the middle of getting cut unceremoniously by your team that was clearly excited about you 18 days ago, multiple months ago, etc. 
right? Uh, just to quote, I know you're all surprised by today's news. I've been seeking help to deal with personal trauma or previous trauma. I suffered and will now take this time to focus on my mental health treatment more fully. I hope to be able to discuss these issues in the future so I can help others who have suffered in a similar way. I appreciate privacy at this time. You know, um, the timing is terrible on that. Yeah. Just don't yep. do that. Um, yep. Period. Uh, again, like the, I'm sure there are, you know, I, I take him at his word that there is previous trauma there, but don't do that. Like not, not in the middle of this thing that just happened. I think that that's a shit look. Um, yeah. I mean, Josh Primo, a guy that, you know, the patron saint of Matt Penny on this podcast, uh, we have to acknowledge it. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, I don't think anyone saw this coming. But, yeah, off the San Antonio Spurs, uh, unclear where his future lies. Yeah. Yeah. And, again, there's not much to add on the basketball side of things because it's about, you know, whether you want to call it getting uh, mental health work done on his behalf, just making sure that he's in the right frame of mind to treat everyone around him with dignity and respect whenever, if ever, he enters an NBA locker room organization front office again. The one thing for me is we're just we're seeing this a little bit too much in the realm of sports right now. Things that have to do with kind of gender related, uh, you know, sexual relationships or uh, instances of of revealing to people of the opposite sex. And it's not it's certainly something that needs to be addressed individually. Let's 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 be clear about this. It's not just people of the opposite sex. It's women like sure. Just. Sure. Respect women, like period, point blank. This yep. is not, yep. yeah. this isn't a hard thing. Respect women, respect them in the workplace, respect them in your personal dealings with them, period, point blank. Like this is, it's incredibly disrespectful. Uh, what yep. Josh Primo is accused of doing, it's sexual harassment, it's unacceptable. Um, you know, allegedly, you know, I, I guess we don't have proof that it happened yet, but yep. um, yeah, no. Respect yep. women in the workplace. This isn't yep. that hard. Yep. And my big thing is that we can't become as fans, as a society, desensitized to it because it is happening too frequently. Like, stand up to it, handle it the right way every single time. My tip of the cap goes to the San Antonio Spurs organization for kind of how they've handled parts of this and at least, you know, m- moved to this pretty quickly. On the surface, this looks good for the Spurs to cool. cut ties very quickly. I would like to know more about the timeline on when all of this happened Uh, is, you know, like I said, they just picked up his option 18 days ago is the first instance of this prior to them picking up their, his option and them not knowing about it or them knowing about it and doing it. I I don't know. I, I don't know any of this yet. And while I, on the surface, this looks like a good, decision by the Spurs. I do just want to acknowledge that we don't yet have all of the information and I think we need to hold out on this. Um, Look, I'd be fairly stunned if someone claimed Primo. Um, Just, I I can't, I can't imagine an ownership group signing off on this at this point. Um, yeah, I, I he is on waivers and he does have a very favorable favorable contract, but I, I just can't imagine a team 
claiming him right now. There, there are a lot of teams that have trade exceptions. There are a lot of teams that like, there are a lot of owners that you could maybe, you know, say would consider this uh, is, you know, a lot of front offices that will see a highly talented 19 year old that, you know, they can get under team control for up to seven years at this point. But I, I just can't, uh, Hey, I, I certainly don't condone it. I think it'd be extremely fucking gross if someone claimed him, but uh, we'll find out on Monday, I guess, yeah. if that's going to happen. Yeah. And it's worth noting as well that um, according to Shams and Katie Strang, that a former Spurs female employee, the one that I previously referenced, uh, has hired Tony Busby, who is the attorney that represented the women in the Deshaun Watson case. Uh, so, you know, it, there could be some sort of civil suit forthcoming if you hire an attorney in that way. So we will see, but uh, stop being gross toward women, period. It's respect women not that that is the official position uh of this podcast respect women point blank um should be that simple sam should be that simple it should be that simple shouldn't it okay uh let's go toward a vibe check now this was our idea for the show today we wanted to do a vibe check around the nba we wanted to dive into situations on the court that look you know, maybe a bit messy on the surface or situations that have been really, really positive so far. And of course, with the way that we've set this up, we have to start with the Brooklyn Nets because Kyrie Irving decided to like go on a, to a press conference and set himself on fire last oh, night. Yeah. Um, so Kyrie Irving decides to and for what it's worth on this vibe check idea i'm gonna ask you to you know give a rating one through five the vibes are five being good one being terrible uh and then we'll go from there and and five Uh, being immaculate right Um, i think think that's the phrasing immaculate vibes is that where we're going immaculate vibes there we go um the Brooklyn Nets will certainly not be a five. So Kyrie Irving in the middle of the week at some point uh, took to Twitter and decided to uh, post a link to a movie uh, that it's called, it looks like Hebrews to Negroes. And the whole thing is stuffed with these anti-Semitic just ideas that it just, it's not, it's not good. I mean, I I don't, I'm trying to explain it. I I don't know that I want to like espouse the idea. Like, I don't even know that I want to say what the ideas are um, within this, but uh, basically what the issue is that this documentary parrots like anti-Semitic tropes, uh, you know, stating like that, you know, Jewish people have this outsized, you know, ability to control society, etc., And um, a, a lot of other gross things. And Kyrie tweets this out because 
Kyrie is a noted conspiracy theorist at this point. And people at the first press conference he does since then begin to ask him about it because of course they begin to ask him about it because he should be asked about this. Uh, if you are parroting anti-Semitic conspiracy bullshit, you, you should be asked about it. And it did not go well. Uh, he got into an argument with Nick Friedel where essentially they were, you know, Nick was clearly making his point about why this matters and why Kyrie should be asked about it. And Kyrie just accused him of trying to make an Instagram clip about it. I'll give you the floor on this. And by the way, this comes like after a couple of weeks ago, like he posted a link to like an Alex Jones, like conspiracy theory. It. I'm just going to give you the floor. Uh, Kyrie, where, where are we at on Kyrie at this point? This is a disaster. Oh, it's a total disaster. And look, I, I, I know we'll get back to the Brooklyn Nets because as we talk about the vibes here, we've got to talk about more than just Kyrie. But the continual you know, distraction tour that he seems to go on or year after year of making it about things that are not just off-court issues or sometimes non-issues that he just tends to harp on, but also placing himself as the victim in every single one of these regards. Like saying to Nick Friedel, don't dehumanize me when Nick Friedel is literally doing his job and asking him questions. And yeah. as a good reporter does, pushing the envelope to get accountability from those who he's questioning. I just, it's this continual victim blaming. It's this ability that he, he has of not being able to separate why his platform matters so much and he needs to take responsibility for the things that he says with also this contrarianism for the sake of being contrarian. That's what has always kind of bothered me about the way that he phrases these things about how he, he moves forward is he looks to have the exact opposite you know, vantage point from the mainstream and tout that as enlightenment But then when anyone ever questions him or pushes the envelope as to why it's about people not respecting free speech or free thinking and they're the issue. And I I just, I'm done listening to it. I'm done kind of giving Kyrie the opportunity or the platform to, to say a lot of these things. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm very over Kyrie in a lot of ways. I think that he is far too much of an individual to be part of a, a winning team culture in today's society. And that's just, that's a huge worry for me. So here, here's, here's my problem with it beyond being just gross in, in terms of uh, promoting. Yeah. And, and that's what it was. I mean, it, when you share something without comment like that on a social media profile that has, I mean, he's got to have over a million followers. I think, he's got, I think he's got like three or four million on Twitter. If I was yeah, you, correctly. You got to know that you're essentially bringing this documentary that I hadn't heard about before. And I certainly, you know, watch a lot of movies and know what's going on for the most part in terms of relevant documentaries. Uh, he has brought this forward into uh the consciousness in a way that it previously was not. Um, 
And while we can all denounce it and we can all talk about how gross it is at the end of the day, if you read any of the comments on any of the Nets reporters, Twitter feeds on, if you search Kyrie Irving's name on Twitter, uh, if you read any of the replies that you see to tweets about Kyrie, there is a significant number of people who still defend him and talk about the fact that not necessarily that he might be right, but that why are we asking him about this and why, why, why should reporters be able to do this? So here is, here's kind of my beef with the whole thing. Kyrie will go up in front of in the middle of this press conference to say, you know, I'm in a unique position to have a level of influence on my community. And then he will say, I am no different than any other human being. You guys come in here and make up this powerful influence. I have Kyrie Irving is trying to have it both ways. He's trying to make it seem like, He wants to be this influential figure within his community, but also doesn't want the repercussions that come with sharing the things he does in being an influential person and doing something wrong whenever you are an influential person. And that's bullshit. Uh, That is absolute bullshit. And it's like, there's just no, there's no, there's no room for it in the NBA. Um, look, the NBA has released a few toothless statements yeah. about this. It seems yeah. like um, Joe Sy, you know, credit to Joe Sy, owner of the Brooklyn Nets. He at least called out Kyrie um, yeah. in a statement. And I think that's ultimately why this got to the point where Kyrie had to be asked about it. When your owner makes statements saying that mm-hmm. he hopes that you, you know, use better discretion in these circumstances. I mean, it's, yeah, this, but, it's it's gross. It, it's but, just but extremely the, gross. The way Kyrie handled that press conference after Joe Sy having that statement clearly shows that he has no remorse. He has not thought about the power of his influence and all the millions of followers and the people that, you know, take after his word and view him as either a source of information or someone who they just respect. And And it's disgusting to me that he doesn't have that type of awareness of his own influence in those regards, particularly after we've seen, you know, everything that's gone on with Kanye West and the rise of anti-Semitic tropes have come up as a result of that over the last week or so. Like, come on, Kyrie, you have to pay attention to this stuff. If you're going to talk about yourself as having a unique level of influence, it's just, it's bullshit is the best word for it. He is a bullshit artist. He's continuing to bullshit and he is completely trying to avoid consequences and accountability for any of the damaging opinions that he holds. It's just, it's crap. I think that's dead right. He is trying to avoid any sort of accountability while also like taking on this faux level of accountability for his community. And here's why even to a greater extent, this is important. Kyrie Irving is a vice president of the, uh, NBA players association. Yep. And regardless of him thinking that he's just speaking for himself, when you hold a position of power 
within the players association, you should be not to say that Kyrie wouldn't be held to a higher standard if he was just making these statements on his own, but as a leader within the players association, you should be held to a higher standard. Kyrie Irving, I think should at the end of the day be held to a standard that is, uh, higher based off of his profile. This is a guy that has sold a remarkable number of shoes for Nike and has built a very large following via that and via his play on the court uh, should be held to a higher standard. There should be held to a higher standard by the players for this Um, within their organization. They should be holding Kyrie's feet to the fire at this point. And that's why at the end of the day, like, look, I don't really care what Kevin Durant thinks of Kyrie. Like, I, I don't know that we need to like, you know, grill Kevin Durant about what Kyrie is doing uh, or grill anyone else on the Brooklyn Nets about what Kyrie is doing. But we do need to get an understanding from the players association that this person in this position of power within the association um, does not stand or like the, the association does not stand for this in some way. Like I, I do frankly hope that Kyrie loses his uh, vice presidency within the players association because of this. I think that he does not deserve to have that platform at this point and does not deserve to have that degree of influence over um, the rest of his peers as a leader within that organization. Yeah. Uh, you know, the last thing that I would add here with Kyrie and why it's kind of so dangerous that he continues to espouse the things that he does is that he has this paranoia of being silenced of people trying to tell him what to do and what to think. And the danger in that is when you say something is outlandish, flat out wrong, irresponsible as he has, when people try to correct you, it only pushes you deeper into feeling that you're being silenced, that you're being conspired yeah. against, that you're being dehumanized to choose his language there. And because of that, we, you can't let this linger and go further and further because it's only going to push him into deeper and darker kind of areas and thoughts. It needs to be addressed by the Players Association like now. Well, let, let, let's be clear about this too. The reason that this matters is that it has been shown within studies uh, by uh, Jewish organizations, the Anti-Defamation League, places like that, that when people espouse these beliefs in public platforms, it results in Jewish people being persecuted in one way or another. And that is bullshit. That is why this matters. That is why this person espousing these beliefs is actually dangerous because the end result is that this actually does have an impact on the daily lives of people within the community. Yeah. So yeah, look, Kyrie is a just, he's a great basketball player, but he is uh, just an absolute fucking disaster show in terms of uh what he brings to the nba i think so 
okay, let, let's talk about the Nets in general. Let, let's kind of move beyond Kyrie at this point. Yeah. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot-blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash gametheory. So the Brooklyn Nets are sitting with a record right now. I believe they're one in five. Yeah. Of one in five. Yeah. This is the second one in five team that we've talked about. I believe they are tied with Pistons for the worst record in the East, right? Yep. It, it, it's hard to find the floor for how bad this could get. I think if we're doing a vibe check, this is a one. The, the, this, this is the is worst vibes in the league by far. This is a, this is a and one. It, it would be close to a one even without Kyrie at this point. This is a situation where this team can't defend. Like they, they just don't really have a chance any nope. night. Kyrie, Joe Harris, um, all of their perimeter defenders, really outside of Royce O'Neal, uh, are really struggling to stay in front of anybody. They don't have a lot of rim protection. 
because Nick Claxton is just very skinny and gets moved around and only plays 22 minutes a night. And then beyond that, they play like a little bit of Markeith Morris. They sometimes play Ben Simmons at center and Ben Simmons can't defend as a big. Uh, There's just not really a way that this team can defend right now. Uh, They are, they are rudderless on that end and the numbers show it at the end of the day. Um, This team is currently 30th in the NBA with a defensive rating of 122.4. And that is an enormous number. Yep. And (laughs) that's, that's five points worse than the last placed team a season ago, Portland. I, uh, I actually, I've got a piece coming out Monday morning, Halloween morning on the Brooklyn Nets defense. So really timely to be having this conversation um, it's, it's red flags all over the place with this defense right now, like historic levels of bad through only six games. You don't want to overly hit the panic button that early, but after watching their game against the Indiana Pacers over the weekend, it's, they don't do one thing, even average. Every single part of their defense is flawed and struggling right now. And it's both scheme and personnel and attention to detail in so many different areas. Like they, they can't stop anybody, Sam. It's rough. No, they, they can't. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton just sliced and diced them. But more than that, like their transition defense is a mess. And like part of it just looks like effort based. Like Ben Matherin had so much more energy last night than anyone on the Brooklyn Nets, it seemed like. Just yep. aggression and confidence and willingness to like push out on the break and just try and put pressure on the defense. Like Kevin Durant is phenomenal and Kevin Durant, you know, looks as good as Kevin Durant tends to look right. He's averaging 32 points a night, shooting 51% from the field and shooting 92% from the foul line. Three point hasn't fallen yet. And that gives you even more reason to believe that he could do even better. Like Kevin Durant has been great. Kyrie Irving has been very good offensively and this team just still does not really have a great chance. It just, they have no real energy giver. I feel like they might've been hoping for Ben Simmons to like come back and like, just give them like that bounce, right. That he wanted to prove people wrong. And that hasn't happened. Um, Ben has not been very good so far. I'm still, I'm still waiting to like, see, you know, what this looks like in maybe 25 games on Ben, get him back in game shape. Totally get him used to the speed of the game again, see what things look like, but undeniably he's been pretty rough so far. Yeah. And And particularly defensively, which is surprising. Like he just, he has this lack of desire to play with physicality or contact on either end of the floor. But when you are out there to be in, all defensive first team caliber type of player, the linchpin defensively for your team, you're going to draw a superstar, you know, one-on-one matchups. And if you're not going to guard them physically, if you're just going to stand vertically like this and let, let Giannis get a running start to go at you, if you're going to play Luka Doncic one-on-one and don't even bump his shoulder as he drives past you to get to layup after layup after layup, like he's just not effective in what the Brooklyn Nets would need him to do. Like, Royce O'Neal, solid individual defender, but he's not the energy type of player that a Bruce Brown was for this team. And yeah. they, you know, they are switching by design, kind of one through four, 
And that doesn't work very well when you've got Seth Curry and Patty Mills and Kyrie Irving and so many guys that continue to need help in that regard. They're not sending double teams effectively to try to take advantage of, okay, the star thinking he has a mismatch. Let's get it out of his hands. And then they don't have the rim protection on the backside to cover up any of those back cuts or anything else that comes from getting a team in rotation. Uh, They got torched against Dallas in guard-to-guard high ball screens. Just time and time again, Luka Doncic would dribble up. The Mavs would send somebody else to screen for him, you know, Josh Green and any other type. Reggie Bullock, basically whoever Brooklyn Jr. was trying to hide yeah. one of their guards on. They would just sending. one of their would, four defensive guards. Yep. They would high pick and pop and Brooklyn couldn't figure it out. Just could not figure out a way to keep the ball either out of Luka Doncic's hands going downhill or preventing a wide open shot. And their help defense looks atrocious in terms of its rotations. Again, there's no rim protection, rim protection on the backside. So it forces them to be so much better at the point of attack. It, it's a mess top to bottom. And I don't know if there is any type of scheme that Steve Nash and the staff can, can really dial up to make it work on the defensive end of the floor. It's going to be a rough year, Sam. Like they just need to be so, so, so good offensively in order to win some games. It's, I don't know. We're, we're at the point where a change needs to happen. Yeah. Um, I, I would imagine Steve Nash is going to be the first one uh, to be the fall guy here. Look, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if Steve Nash can coach in the NBA. There isn't a lot of evidence that he's a good coach, certainly. I don't know that I would call him like a bad coach necessarily. I don't know if we have enough evidence of him being in like a normal situation <laughs> for this to uh, actually accurately be stated. But I do think that he isn't coming up with answers. I know that. Like it's hard to come up with answers. Yeah. But like, I would like to see Kessler Edwards, you know, they're starting to play Utah Watanabe a little bit more. Um, I mean, like you have sort of options. Like if you put out there like a lineup of Simmons, Kyrie, Durant, O'Neal, I mean, no, it's hard. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's if 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 Ben is not going to defend, like you almost have to like, but like Ben is still pretty good perimeter defender. This is bad. It's just bad across the board in a way that I don't I don't know if Steve Nash has fixes necessarily. But like, look, you don't play your starters the whole game, obviously. Like, I would like to see Kessler Edwards in there a little bit. I would like to see. um Maybe you try and do a little bit more Utah. Like uh, they need like a center. It feels like that can yeah. actually handle minutes. So like maybe that's an acquisition you could make. Yeah. It, it, it's just hard to come up with what Steve Nash could realistically do. Uh, he's not doing enough. I don't think like he's not really throwing everything at the wall. It feels like, but like, he needs to figure something out here yeah. or they need to move on at the end of the day. Um, the, the, the vibes are a one, Sam, the vibes, the vibes are, are a one. As, this is, this yeah. is a disaster. It's rough. It, we're less than two weeks into the NBA season and they're in last place in the East, which doesn't mean a ton standings wise this early, but it's about how they've gotten there. That has them so, so, so low in terms of the confidence meter to ever overcome some of these challenges. 
Okay, let's go to the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. Honestly, I feel a little bit better about them than I did after the first week. They've figured a few things out. I think Doc has actually cleaned some things up rotationally to where like he has like multiple actual shot creators on the court at once, which is good. Um, they're starting to get like a little bit of energy. They're starting to play a little bit better defensively. It feels like, um, I don't think the vibes, the vibes are certainly not a one anymore. They've beaten the bulls and Raptors in recent days. Um, where are you at on the Sixers? Let's just, let's just start there. Sure. Where are you at on this team? Uh, for, for vibes, I'm going to give them a three right now. I, yeah. I've got them at a three on the vibe scale. Certainly a, a rough start just in terms of not just wins and losses, but I know you've mentioned it a couple of times. Joel Embiid did not look like himself coming out of the gates this year. Uh, whether yeah. I, I don't know what to attribute that to, but he did not look like himself. And we know that for the Philadelphia 76ers to be at their best, he absolutely has to. James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, both individually looking strong. I think it has taken them a week or so to figure out how to coexist with each other, how to yeah. play off of each other well. And as you said, for Doc Rivers to figure out rotationally how to maximize each of them, and give them their time to eat because Tyrese Maxey is freaking good at basketball. Sorry. And that is, that is what's going to ultimately take the 76ers to that championship level this year. It's not just how Embiid plays and, and whether Harden's in shape, but if Maxey can be a third all-star type of player, they're going to have enough offensive firepower to hang with anybody that they play. And, you know, he went off against, I believe it was Toronto or this yep. week where he had 44, just a, he, he looked great. He couldn't miss a shot making floater after floater dependable in that mid range area. We know he's a, a willing defender at the point of attack. Like uh, Maxi is the guy that is yeah. single-handedly raising the vibes. No, not, not a good one, but he's willing. You know what I he's, mean? He's, he's like, willing. Yes. Yeah. Like he, he's not going to just, you know, give up a lot of the time, which right. is good. Right. Um, yeah, look, Joel, for as bad as he started, and uh, he still doesn't look phenomenal on defense, but he's averaging 27 points, nine and a half rebounds, three and a half assists. He's still turning it over a little too much. I think that the foot still doesn't look totally there, but for them to be three and four now after that start, I think is a big kind of improvement and is a big leap forward for them. I would say probably two and a half in terms of the vibes, if only because I still do have some pretty real concerns about doc rivers uh, as the coach here. And I have some real worries about where this team is headed. Uh, if doc can't quite figure out how to get the most out of their offensive abilities, uh, rotationally doc is just always kind of a mess. He's improved some things recently, but I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not like, I'm not sold on this team. Not as sold as I was in the preseason when I said I thought they'd finish first in the East. I do think that this team is loaded with talent. I think you're right that Maxi is just like lifting the vibes to a substantial level. Uh, I will also note, like, I think the Anthony Melton just giving them energy yeah. is a big help yeah. as well. He's been good so far this year. Um, yeah, I would say two and a half on the vibes and, and rising. For yep. sure. That's fair. Okay. Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, not a two and a half or a three. 
I, this is, I can't go as low as the Nets. I think I'm going to say one and a half on the Lakers. Uh, the problem with the Lakers is that I don't know where they're going to get the offense. I, I just don't at the end of the day. Um, I think they've actually been okay defensively. I think that they're going to be good defensively. They have Pat Bev to lift the energy. They have Anthony Davis, who's one of the best defenders in the league. LeBron's just sheer presence there is helpful because he's really smart, even if he's like taking a few possessions off here and there because he's a little bit older. Austin Reeves is a good defender. Juan Toscano is a good defender. They just don't have the shooting. This is... The NBA at this point is in so many ways, as I talked about with Mike Prada on the last podcast, it's a shooting league. And if you don't have shooting, you are at a substantial disadvantage. And this is one of the worst shooting teams I've seen in a while. This isn't just like your run-of-the-mill bad shooting team. This is like one of the worst shooting teams in the last five years. Uh, maybe one of the worst shooting teams like in the modern era of the NBA over the last eight years. So they, they need to figure something out in, in terms of a deal that they can make that at least addresses that. I, I do wonder if there is a question of like, when, when does it become too late to make a deal? I don't think we're there five games into the season, but I also think they should make a move like sooner rather than later. Um, if they don't make a move, though, this is potentially not a play-in team, realistically. Like, Rob Polinka has done a horrible job with this roster. I, I have not seen Anthony Davis look kind of – I saw a couple highlights circulating the rounds on, online the last couple days of early career Anthony Davis and how explosive and energy-bound he used to play. And he doesn't look like the same player in that regard offensively. But it's it's always going to be about the star fits of your best players and the roles that you ask role players to be in around them. That's, that's how you win games in the NBA. And right now, the Lakers have three kind of role players who all want to be mismatched, drive and attack basket, face-up guys, and role players who don't actively space the floor effectively around them. And it's so hard to make all of those pieces fit. Like they look good defensively. I don't know if I'd say great, but they look good right now for an early season team with a couple newer yeah. pieces in there. They look good, but they can't outscore, you know, anybody. And I don't, I keep going back to the same conversation that we had with Steve Nash of like, I don't know what the fix is schematically in order to make it work. I think the same thing goes for Darvin ham on the offensive end with this team. Like, he is so yeah. much well, handcuffed. He is handcuffed by who he has. You know what, though? He, he, he they're not running anything. It seems like oh, they run, they run whatever LeBron seems to want to run. Or if it's no LeBron and it's just Westbrook, it's kind of like all right, let's there, keep him happy. There's just like no level of we're executing. A, like I, I don't know what their plan is. You know what I mean? Like typically teams. Like you can see, like Golden State, they want to move the ball, right? Um, Dallas is going to run like a very, you know, high level, high ball screen offense where they're going to try and get mismatches for Luka. I don't know what the Lakers are trying to accomplish on that end, I guess would be my point. Yeah, even. It's, it's, uh, Toronto it feels is like... trying to, 
Toronto's trying to, you know, they're not really doing it as much this year. Um, but they do still try and get out and transition as much as they can with their athletes, create as many opportunities as they can that way. Their pace is diminished this year. Yeah. They're doing it a little bit less, but they still want to try and create as many easy buckets with their length and ability to get down the court as they can. Um, I, I don't know what the Lakers are doing. I don't, yeah. I don't like know what the plan is. I don't know what their identity is offensively. And I think that that goes beyond the shooting even. And I sure. do think that that is something that I will lay at Darvin Ham as a question early in his coaching career as a head coach. Um, sure. I, I don't know what their plan is on offense yeah. at this point. Yeah. And, you know, this shows, you know, for as much as we talked about, you know, the Nets being horrible on defense, right? So the Nets have a 122.4 defensive rating. You know, the team that is, you know, in 22nd in defensive rating right now is the Houston Rockets. They're at 116.2, right? So like a six-point difference in that. The Los Angeles Lakers right now are 6.6 points per 100 possessions worse than anybody else in the league offensively. This is a team that has LeBron James on it. That goes beyond shooting to me. Like they, they, I just don't know what their plan is at the end yep. of the day. They they need to find they're not doing anything creative. They're like it seemed like I can't remember the last time I saw like a small set of ball screen for LeBron to try and get a mismatch. They do it sometimes with Austin Reeves, but they tend to do it when like they're playing four guards on the court at once. Yeah. Uh and like it's a little bit less of an advantage that you're getting for LeBron in those moments. So like I just would like to see more creativity. I would like to see a plan offensively for the Lakers, yeah. even without the shooting. Um I, I have yet to see that. Yeah. I, I don't know what they should do, but it does feel fair to say they should do something. Like there has to be yeah. some sort of plan organization, like figuring out in crunch time minutes, what you're going to do other than ISO ball in that regard. Um, it's, yeah. you know, the, the vibes are, I think fixable whenever you have LeBron James and yeah. as much talent as they kind of do with him and AD combined. And we all know this carrot that has been dangling out there of a potential Russell Westbrook trade and what they might be able to get back from that to not just raise the fit of the roster, but keep them competitive in that regard. So uh, oh, I'm not I'm so, so glad you brought up the specter of a trade. <laughs> oh, Adam. Go ahead, Sam. Take it from here. Here we go. So I've seen now some Lakers fans kind of wonder, is it worth doing a deal? Is it worth, like continuing to go down this road. Can Buddy Heald and Miles Turner even fix us? I wonder if there is a world, and there is a world where like feasibly this could happen. Yeah. You could get all of Eric Gordon, Buddy Heald, and Miles Turner in one fell swoop. Eric Gordon is kind of the guy that they actually need on the perimeter. Like a big physical guard who can shoot buddy healed would just really help them from a shooting perspective. Miles Turner would fit their defensive identity to a high level. That's three guys that would be entering their rotation. That would be starter quality from the jump. Right. Yeah. 
like that, that would probably be your three that you would play around AD and LeBron, right? Mm-hmm. A deal that works is Russell Westbrook to Indiana, Kendrick Nunn to Houston, just for contractual reasons. And then Eric Gordon, Buddy Heald, and Miles Turner to the Lakers. Uh, this would require the Lakers to add something like $8 million to their cap number this year, I believe. Something like that. It's like right around eight. I don't know how much they're interested in that necessarily, um, given the mess that is this team. Uh, I, I guess that theoretically you could throw in like a Damian Jones and throw him to Houston and get a, off of that money a little bit more, um, throw him to Indiana or whatever. But I wonder if they could find a way to swing that with the capital that they have left. Could you do like, would Houston take a 2028 pick swap and a second for Eric Gordon? Like would, would they just be willing to bet on the Lakers failing? to that extent to where it's worth them having those rights. Uh, Would they do, you know, a first and a, like a first and a second for Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. I know that the Pacers don't seem willing to do that yet, but this Pacers team is pretty fun. And like, it's, it's not like, you know, for, for as much as like Buddy is playing and, has had some really good shooting nights like against Washington over the weekend. Right. Um, I don't know that like he's, he's been good and he's been like a trooper, Mm -hmm. but like, he's not like, you know, a guy that they desperately need. He's helped his value for sure. League wide, I think, but you're not going to get a first rounder for buddy healed. I don't think. No, I mean, if there's a first rounder that goes in this conversation, it's for taking on Russell Westbrook, so to speak. It's not necessarily for the value that, Buddy healed returns. Miles Turner probably worth that. And uh, Miles. Yeah. 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 He's probably so, worth that in some regard. But Miles, Miles is a perfect fit for the Lakers just because he can space the floor to three in, in a certain amount on the offensive end and allow them to play some sort of a LeBron AD pick and roll while letting AD not defend the five, which is something he has talked about ad nauseum, not right. wanting to do, and provide that rim protection. Now they're huge on their front line. They're a good rebounding team. They can play in transition more as a result. A lot of floor spacing around LeBron. Yep. I I, I love it, Sam. I love it. I, I think that the values are fair. I don't know that it would be something the Pacers would do, given the fact that it seems like that they aren't willing to move Miles yeah. Turner and Buddy Heald to the Lakers for a single first-round pick. Because I, I would imagine the Lakers have offered that at this point. Yeah. Um, Look, you would get this Eric Gordon contract that you could have for next year, or you could choose not to have for next year. You would get Miles Turner's bird rights. You would get Buddy Heald's bird rights. Like you could very easily, or no, Buddy, Buddy Heald is under contract. What am He's I doing? I, I believe Buddy, yeah. Buddy has at least one more year. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you'd get his bird rights. But I feel like there is enough there to where. There could be some traction there. If I was Houston, look, like, I, I don't mean disrespect Eric Warden. Like, he's being a trooper, right? Like, he's he's playing. He's been a professional. I don't know that, like, you know, he's he's the vet that they need in the locker room either, necessarily. 
Um, I, I would do this. If I was Houston, I would probably be willing to take that 2028 pick swap in a second for Eric Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. If I was Indiana and you could give me an unprotected 2027 or 2029 Lakers first round pick after LeBron is likely out of the league and they're going to have to rebuild. I'd probably do that. That that feels like a potential big chip when they're trying to compete, right? Like think about the goal for the Pacers at this point is being competitive in 2025, right? Yep. 2025 to 20, to 2030 is their goal, right? If you have that carrot of like a 2027 first round pick there that could be very valuable when you're in the middle of being a very positive organization moving forward, um, being in the playoffs, and then you get to add a high leverage asset again, that could be valuable. Um, I, I get why uh, I get why they might not want to do it right now because they probably think that they can leverage the Lakers into more. Um, I don't know that they'll be able to though, because I don't think the Lakers are going to want to give up both of those picks given what the future could hold. Well, and there's also the the ticking time bomb here. That is if you hold off and hold off and hold off until late January, or early February, maybe the Lakers are so far out of striking distance of the playoffs. Right. They don't make that move and they're just better off letting Russell Westbrook expire and deal with it all in July. So, and they can that, have like a real amount of cap space. They can have real yep. flexibility in the summer to like make some things happen. Um, so yeah, like, the Pacers have a lot of leverage here. Let's not get that twisted. The Lakers, the Pacers absolutely have much more leverage on the Lakers than the Lakers have on the Pacers. But that will shift at a certain point in terms of just the timing of this all. And I, I don't know. Maybe the Lakers decide against it. We'll see. This is a weird, weird situation. Yeah. Where one do you want to go next? Let, let's find some. Yeah, one and a half. I think one and a half. Lakers. Can't, can't be worse than the Nets, but the vibes are not great right now for as long as um, here's the other thing with the Lakers. It's just hard to watch them. Like they, they the oh. offense is such a mess that in the defense is so good that it's almost like watching like a bad college basketball team. Right. Um, like a, a team that can't like space the floor and tries to grind it down to a halt defensively. Like, it's kind of like watching a shitty college basketball game with the Lakers. And I think the fans are kind of sick of watching shitty college basketball games. Yeah. Yeah. I watched their game against the Nuggets. Uh, what was that? You know, a little bit, a little bit ago, that Friday night game. And it was so fun to watch Jokic and so boring whenever the yeah. Lakers had the, had the ball. It was just, ugh. yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's do some fun vibes. Now. Yeah, please. please Charlotte Hornets. Charlotte. The Charlotte Hornets vibes are fun. I don't know if they're like great, but they're fun at the very least. Uh, the Hornets right now are three and three without LaMelo Ball, which is a huge, huge feather in their cap. Terry Rozier has only played two games. Gordon Hayward is averaging 20 points, five rebounds, four assists. PJ Washington dropped 31 last night. Dennis Smith Jr. Yeah, baby. Is my favorite story in the NBA right now. Yep. Because 
this is a guy that is on basically his last chance to be a real NBA player. And it's coming through. He's playing with desperation, it seems like. He's playing with real aggression. And you can see it on the defensive end, too. Like, he's playing really, really tough on that end. I love it. This is yeah. a fun team. They're, yeah. they're a much more fun team to watch than I would have ever envisioned. Yeah, it was an awesome win for them over Golden State, um, that, that overtime yeah. game on Saturday. It, part of that was Golden State didn't really play well, but Charlotte rose to the occasion. You know, P.J. Washington was fantastic. Dennis Smith was fearless on both ends of the floor, going right at them offensively and, and getting to the basket at will, and then defensively putting the clamps on on Steph when it really mattered most. Like, I'm a big Teo Maladon guy, seeing him kind of resurface here and find a couple minutes and impact knocking down some shots has been huge. Like they're just, they're that group of misfits that everyone and myself included have been counting out a little bit more and yeah, they're, they're piecing it together and they're finding ways to just be competitive, play as hard as they can, despite what might be a, a real talent gap between them and a lot of teams they face on a nightly basis and just figure it out enough to win games. Uh, um, it, it's fun. It's a fun team to watch right now with just the intensity that they play with, how hard Dennis Smith Jr. is taking every single opportunity to prove that he belongs in this league. Uh, it, it's been a great story, Sam. And, and Dennis Smith, he belongs in this league. Uh, I think we've seen enough over the last week or so to say that he he's an NBA caliber point guard. Yeah. No, I agree. We'll see where it lands. Like he might not be a starter, but right. uh, if he if he keeps shooting like off the catch in the limited number of shots he takes, maybe he is. Um, yeah, Dennis Smith is young. He's still twenty four, I believe. This is his fifth NBA team. He hasn't really had like a stable situation. He yeah. hasn't. You know, he got traded very early from Dallas to New York, and got hurt. He's been he's dealt with some tragedy since he's been in the NBA. I love that he's getting this opportunity. It's amazing to me. It's absolutely incredible. Um, the other guy we haven't mentioned for Charlotte is Nick Richards. Yeah. Ooh, Nick Richards has Nick. been great so far. And we're, we're going to talk about Dennis a little bit more on the podcast later this week with Schindler. But um, Nick Richards has been great so far. He's been awesome. He is crashing the offensive glass aggressively. He is being a very solid impediment defensively on the interior. He he just kind of, he's that energy big that you hope for. He's so athletic, obviously, that like, you know, it's seven foot tall. He can just like make an impact that way. But I think that last year when I watched him, he looked, he had good moments, but he looked a little bit lost um, from time to time. He doesn't look lost anymore. It feels like Steve Clifford and that staff have really done a good job of, kind of simplifying things maybe for him in a way that uh, has has led to great results for the Hornets so far. He's huge. He's bouncy and he's a rebounding machine. And that's, you know, Steve Clifford loves that in his bigs, be dependable on the defensive end of the floor, clean up the glass. That's one thing that Steve Clifford teams always do really well, which is defensive rebound. And he's going to be a good, you know, role threat for LaMelo ball. Whenever he comes back, I, I think he's, a good pluck by their organization for a rotation caliber big. 
Now they've thrown like seven or eight darts at the dartboard in terms of big men over the last couple of years where you hope that one or two of them are going to stick, but it's, it's, you know, they're winning games, Smith, Hayward, Washington, Richards, like everybody, all these guys, not just playing their part in order to win games, but proving that they are better than we thought they were in terms of where they should be slated in an offensive rotation. And, and that's been a huge positive for Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, Portland Trailblazers. Yeah. The vibes for the Blazers are strong right now. Uh, I, I would say the Hornets, for what it's worth, I'm sorry, we didn't give a number on the Hornets. Three and a half? Yeah, three to three and a half for me. I, I think yeah. that there's a it's still that element of realism of like waiting for it to come down to earth a little bit more that drops it closer to a three. But fun start to the year. Always love the way that they play. Three and a half. I'm good with it. The Blazers might not be a five, but they're high. Yeah, they're close. Four and a half right now for me. Awesome. Time. I had four and a half as well. Yeah. I had four and a half. This is Dame looks like he is back to being the guy that is one of the best players in the NBA. He's averaging 31 points, five rebounds, five assists, while shooting 39% from three on 10 attempts per game. Anthony Simons is averaging 20 points per game. They're not like a disaster defensively with those two in the backcourt. They've kind of figured out uh, a way to at least make it work on the way to this five and one start. Uh, look, they're 10th in the NBA defensively. If they can be 10th in the NBA defensively with the talent they have offensively, oh boy, like they're going to be fine. Uh, they're going to be probably a top 12 team in the league. Uh, Jeremy Grant has been very solid and steady and been what they would have hoped for. The, the only guy that I feel like in Nurkic has had a couple of games, but like Nurkic hasn't been awesome yet. Maybe that the fact that he's had a couple of games though, where he has been pretty good gives me reason to believe that there is some real room for upside potentially with him. Uh, I do think that they could probably use another big, yeah. Having said that, like some of the small Justice Winslow lineups have really worked well. Um, I love what Josh Hart is doing. You know, he's mm-hmm. gone from being a 20 point per game scorer late in the year last year for the Blazers to settling back into being the energy guy, the aggressive guy, bringing everything to the table that way. Um, yeah, there's, I, I think there's, this is. There's one guy, Sam, that raises the vibes from like a four to a four and a half and closer to a five. I wanted to leave him for you. Go ahead. It's Shade and Sharp. Oh, man. The Shade and Sharp vibes are fun. I I like, and I mentioned this on the podcast. um, Was that you or was that with Schindler? I can't remember. Um, But I like how simple they're keeping things for Shade and Sharp. Um, I'll actually look up what the numbers are. I've definitely seen Shaden Sharp dribble, but like I can't remember a dribble off the top of yeah. my head. Uh, they're just having him cut 45 cuts, yep. backdoor cuts. They're having him space the floor from three or just move it along quickly. Um, they're just doing a really good job of keeping it very simple and steady for him in a way that is making it easy for him to make an actual impact off the bench as a teenager that didn't play college basketball, didn't do anything over the course of the last uh, year and a half. Which is crazy. And he did hit one pretty impressive dribble pull up over the weekend. Like he slid into the starting lineup. I know Dane yeah. is a little bit banged up right now. So Shaden eating a little. <clears throat> excuse me, a few more minutes than we'd initially anticipated. 
the Blazers' season was going to come down to after they drafted Shaden Sharp, how do they split the difference between developing their only incredibly high ceiling offensive player over the long term and trying to win basketball? Well, and, and Anthony Simons too. I don't want you to get sure. interested. But yeah. Sure, sure, yeah. I think of, I think of, I guess he is still young enough to be in that conversation. But I'm thinking more like rookie yeah. deals, first couple years in the league. Uh, Shaden is really that high ceiling, high upside guy. How do you? navigate the difference between trying to develop him and win games while Damian Lillard is still in his prime and for them to be five and one with shade and sharp, making a positive impact, having the game simple for him, knocking down shots. This is a huge win for the Blazers organization across the board, because not only does sharp look like an incredible type of draft pick, even in the top half of the lottery or, or, or in the top 10, but he, he fits what they're trying to do right now, Sam. And that's so yep. hard to be able to do is plug and play a young guy in the way that, that they are. Uh, it's awesome. They, they all play with energy and a ton of fun. The way that Lillard and Simon seem to be defending has that chip on their shoulder. Like they want to prove that the narrative about them to being one of the most porous defensive tandems in the league and something that can't work in the playoffs. They want to prove that wrong. I agree with your assertion. They probably still need another bigger body, but this is, this is a team that we drastically underrated, not just because of the talent and the way that they've been able to make it mesh, but the vibes, man, the vibes are on. They all enjoy playing with each other. They play hard every single night. I really like this Portland team. I do too. I do too. I I think that they are uh, much, much better than what I thought they would be. Coming into the year, um, we'll we'll see where it goes. Obviously, this could be a situation where um, maybe the defense falls off. I don't, I don't think it is, though. To be honest, yeah. like from from what I've seen, like Jeremy Grant looks better on that end than he did in Detroit. Um, the Justice Winslow, like weirdo, switchy small lineups have been pretty good. Like it, well, it's. Yeah, I, I like it. I, they I like have, it. They look very together on the defensive yeah. end in a real way. Yep, and they finally have some of the wing athleticism and personnel to cross-match when they need to in late-game situations and put Jeremy Grant on a deer and Fox and be able to hound some of those guys with a little bit more length instead of just continually trying to run one of Dame or Simons out there. He looks good. Yep. L- long-term game here. Obviously, we need to continue to see this as – the season goes on as teams understand what their scheme is and try to pick it apart and dissect it on a nightly basis. But man, do I like watching them play. They're just fun and energetic and going for your throat every single time. Yeah. They're, they're super. I think that's a great way to put it. They're super competitive and that comes, I'm sure that that filters down from Damian Lillard, Yeah, but like they just play such a competitive uh, in your face style of basketball right now. Um, where they're basically, I think they heard a lot of the noise, like my, myself included. Like, I didn't think the team was going to make the playoffs. Um, it feels like they've heard a lot of the noise and they're like, fuck you all. We're going to win. Period. Yeah. It's the best. I love it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Any other teams you want to talk about? Any other vibe checks you want to do? We, we had the Jazz on here, but we're going to save the Jazz for the next pod this week that we're going to do. Um, I, I will say, I do want to bring up one team. Go for it. The New York Knicks. 
Oh, yeah. The vibes out. are good with the Knicks. Yeah. I, they they I, like actually are playing high level offense. It's great. Like the Jalen Brunson signing. He's, he's awesome. It's been huge for them. It's been absolutely enormous for them. Like him being able to run the offense at a high level, him being able to score and be like a real threat every time he touches the ball. He's averaging 19 points and seven assists per game. Uh, the Brunson deal is one that I liked. Um, I know that that was an unpopular opinion at the time. Uh, I, I thought it was a fine deal. I thought that that's what you pay. That's the going rate for a high level point guard like Jalen Brunson. Um, it's been better than what I thought it would be though. Like his, his level to which he's running the offense is really, really strong. And they haven't even gotten like a great start from RJ Barrett yet. Yvonne Fournier has been like a disaster defensively. uh, Anytime I've watched them, like this team is deep. They're young, they're athletic and they have a real point guard. Now this team has a real shot to like be a really fun watch by Tibbs team standards late into the year. 3.75 on the vibe scale. (laughs) I I, I like, yeah. Yeah. Like it's not quite like, you know, Oh my God, this team's a contender. Like this team is definitely a playoff team. They're pretty fun though. I enjoy watching the Knicks. Yeah. The the key word that you hit on there is young Sam. Uh, When we get to like year three of the Tom Thibodeau experience, anywhere that he's been, he starts to grind on guys. He's pretty demanding, yeah. very structured in the way that he approaches the game on both ends of the floor. And I think that a young team just doesn't know any better, right? Like yeah. there aren't all yeah. of these veterans that have gone through it in all these other places that have seen some of the looseness that other programs might be able to have. Like the, to them, this is just how you play NBA basketball. And yeah. because of that, Thibodeau can still work the defensive magic that he needs to in order to make all of the pieces work. And that's where Brunson and his huge acquisition just is helping the offense flow so much better than we could have imagined. Uh, Really, really good start to the year. And by the way, another team that might be a five on the vibes. And part the reason I brought the Knicks is I have the Cavs-Knicks game on in the background right now. It's 104-101 with like, you know, five or six minutes left in the third or left in the fourth. Um, The Cavs are four or five. The Cavs are somewhere between four and five on the right. vibe scale. Maybe four, maybe, maybe another four and a half for the Cavs. Maybe a five on the vibe scale, honestly. And Donovan because, Mitchell's a six himself. He's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Don, Donovan Mitchell has been everything that they could have asked for and more. This team is still winning without Darius Garland. They just are so deep. Every single like game they're going to get some sort of high level impact from a guy that we consider a role player right if it's not Karis Levert going for 40 it's like Kevin Love is tonight where he's got seven threes and has 26 right like it's a really really fun group if it's not um you know Jared Allen playing well it's Dean Wade knocking down five threes and having 19 points like he does tonight right um and looking like a legit potential starting three for them moving forward even when Darius Garland comes back so we'll see what they do defensively with Garland and Mitchell in the backcourt long term but everything that we hoped the Cavs would be they have been so far that this is a this is a 4.75 on the vibe scale I think 
Yeah, I'm slightly lower. Like I'm at like a four to four point two five, just because I still want to see how it looks when Garland's back and healthy. Uh, until that really happens, it's going to be hard for me to to dive fully in. But I will commit to this here tonight on this, the Game Theory podcast with Sam Vecini that if these vibes continue and they keep winning games with Garland and Mitchell, and there are no defensive questions in that backcourt, I'll give five. I'll do it. I'm, I'm excited. The, the Cavs are consistently one of the most fun teams to watch right now, um, which is great. Um, and it's because of Donovan Mitchell, frankly. Uh, Spins, tell the people where they can find your work. Yeah, find me on YouTube, Adam Spinella, Twitter, at the Boxing one underscore, or our Substack page, theboxing1.substack.com. Writing for SB Nation now. So uh, I have a couple pieces Beautiful. coming out, one right after this on the Brooklyn Nets uh, We'll call it defense. I don't know. That might be too kind of a term. But uh, look for some more content coming out there. And Sam, just as always, thank you for for having me here and being able to talk some hoops. Yeah, well, Spins and I will be back later this week. We're recording this right after because, again, I'm pretty worried about, like, falling off of a cliff here uh i'm i'm hanging together at the moment yeah. but we'll, we'll see how the second podcast goes uh if you uh if you see me fall off a cliff midway through the next podcast you'll know why um but yeah uh mock draft went up last week uh at the athletic go check that out uh, i have a couple of things that might be coming uh at the athletic that i'm kind of working on i filed something uh earlier this weekend and it'll be kind of a combination podcast, you know, written form thing that I'm really excited about. I've got a few of them banked already. Um, we're kind of just figuring out how we want to structure them uh, on the website, basically. Um, but I'm really, really excited to share them with you. And we will uh, hopefully have those for you soon. But until next time, we'll talk soon.